Hello, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo. Today, my guest is Shaman Safford, who is joining me on the dojo today to discuss Sky People and UAPs. He is a member of the Sok tribe. He has been practicing shamanistic skills and um, abilities for over 30 years. He is also a founder of the Night Watch Institute. The Night Watch Institute researches UAPs, unidentified non-human and terrestrial intelligent entities, USOs, and more. Thank you so much for joining me today. The pleasure is all mine. You, um, you and I have spoken off off of the recorded air before. Um, so I will let listeners know that. And of course, I was extremely excited to talk to you about Sky People because there's this this thing that people talk about when they go into studying UFOs. There's something that grasps them. And for me, it was already Six Killer Clark's book talking about the sky people, the star people, that's the thing that got me. So I'm like, I really want to hear from people who really know about this. <laughs> well, I, I, I'd be happy to. Uh, I'd be happy to share what I know, or at least what I've read and researched. Uh, what we know, I suppose, is always uh, up for debate. <laughs> right. So what's what's different about her work is even though a lot of the experiencers that she spoke to were anonymous, um, you know, she was not talking to people who were trying to get attention. Um, they, they were people who were having these experiences, which by the way, many of which are very parallel to the people you see on YouTube and on the, on the news and, you know, things like that. Um, but for them, it was, you know, a lot of them are just, this is the way it is. This is just how life is. This is part of reality. And I really appreciated that outlook. Thank you. It's a, it is um, for non, for non Western, non monotheistic cultures. And I don't, I don't mean that in a, uh, a pejorative or, a, you know, any sort of negative sense, but simply as a matter of daily course of business, um, Generally, Western monotheistic societies consider those sorts of things uh, to be completely unnatural or, or outside the realm of reason or only the domain of, you know, of, of, uh, of the overly imaginative. Uh, but for non-Western societies and, and non monotheistic uh, cultures uh, it's a matter of daily course to uh, to acknowledge that there are intelligences outside those of mankind and that's been the case for as long as there's been uh, well, as long as we can tell as there's been people uh, not just homo sapiens but even further back and what's also interesting is that those experiences are greatly varied. You know, it's it's, it's a, whatever we're experiencing on this planet, it's quite a lot of different entities involved. Um, and that kind of holds with the rest of the research people are finding as well, that it's not just one, you know, like alien gray, for instance, coming to talk to us. There's just a lot going on. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. I mean, we, I the way I, 
Um, the way I personally see it is as an ecosystem of a combination of wild and intelligent life, probably mostly native uh, to Earth. And, uh, you know, but most people think of native to Earth as strictly dealing with the surface world. Um, you know, the land of the mammals and the humans and the fish that we eat or the birds that we see. And their awareness of the world around them generally uh, runs within that very, very thin uh, skin around the earth. Uh, human awareness generally stops five miles below and five miles above where we are, but there's a lot more to the earth than that. And the earth is far, far older than uh even the earliest uh, ancestors of mankind, so uh, humankind. So I, I think, uh, yeah, it just stands to reason that there would be multiple paths of uh, life, inorganic, uh, non-biological, non-human, that could evolve and adapt and rise to intelligence and advancement and even end up dying as a result of one of the great filters and disappearing into the obscurities of time hundreds of millions of years ago or even 50 million years ago if you go back 10 million years uh you've lost almost all traces of of anything uh recognizable except stones um and and fossilizations so, right. uh, What's so fa fascinating, and this is just from, because my background is psychology, it's so fascinating to me how we see all this variety of life that's really quite evident in front of us, all of these different species. And yet, as soon as we present, maybe there's something else, people just close down. Like they, people are, for the most part, accept that there were dinosaurs, these large beasts that, you know, ha had possibly reptilian skin or feathers running around fighting each other or eating plants we don't know like what depends on the dinosaur right people mm -hmm. accept that but as soon as you present okay so what about this entity that's also kind of the same in some ways right people just close down as soon as you as soon as it doesn't fit into what they already understand is everything is so hard for us to learn to accept <laughs> It's a it's a fairly recent occurrence as well. Uh, and people were far more open minded the further back you go in terms of uh, the kind of stuff that is outside stuff that humankind was you know quote unquote meant to know. You know, if you went back a hundred years, it'd be a lot easier to uh, convince someone that. Uh, or have themselves be convinced or for them to interpret it or otherwise that it was uh, something supernatural or outside the realms of the norm as opposed to just simply dismissing it or uh, demanding, uh, you know, hard scientific evidence. Uh, it, it's, I would be curious to see a sociological and psychological study as to why that seems to have, have happened and, and spread out despite all the wondrous advances and uh, contributions to helping humanity that uh, yeah. that same scientific mindset has brought forth. Yeah, because we can see if we look back other cultures, not only 
truly appreciated things like science, but they also appreciated religion still and magic. Mm -hmm. All three of our biggest core belief systems were active. They mm -hmm. coexisted. They were not in conflict. Um, I will say that earlier today, I heard someone mentioned, I think it was, I want to say it might have been on New Thinking is Allowed. Someone mentioned something about mysticism and how that used to be prevalent, even in Christianity, which, mm -hmm. you know, everyone kind of sees as like the least magically oriented whatever, whatever most likely to cut that out of things but even in christianity people were really into like these big spiritual experiences and mystical experiences and connecting with something a little deeper and a little bit less physical sometimes you know they kind of went into what we call the woo um mm -hmm. but then something changed and it, and it, it was implied that it was sort of this colonialism and puritan mentality that shut a lot of that stuff down it's hard to say uh i mean because it it happened so many ways in so many different places um you know the tales i know of are certainly not unique uh to any one people or culture but uh an example from my own tribe the the sack and fox uh, or we, you know, we call ourselves the sock, but it, it, you know, and uh, the sock among with uh, Northern Cree and uh, several of the other Algonquin peoples alone, uh, in addition to you know, countless other uh, tribes out there, uh, as recently as the 1900s, uh, and I mean, like into the 50s, 60s, 70s, and, and so forth, uh, the, the government could still just take away the Indian children. And, uh, and I, I don't mean Indian like the country of India. I mean like Indian, North American uh, indigenous uh, peoples. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, uh, the, the killing off anyone who spoke of the old ways uh be it official uh or uh lynching uh, or just dying out of old age uh or living with the knowledge but uh suppressing it and never speaking of it for fear that uh once again those who did the uh, previous killings would come back and visit more harm upon the tribe. So, uh, in our in our own tribe, uh, almost everyone who knew anything of the old ways has uh, gone to their graves, not passing it along by choice, uh, just because either because of the combination of all the horrible things done in the past. Meanwhile, their children were taken, not given the opportunities to learn any of the old ways. Uh, they were sent to learn the white man's ways, uh, the Christian ways, the capitalist ways, and how to live, you know, uh, live that life with the idea of kill the Indian, save the man. And, uh, you know, all this I should also mention at the same time going in a country where um, women were officially not equal under the Constitution until 1976. So, um, you know, if a, 
if it was bad enough for Indian men, you can imagine how bad it was for Indian women. Um, yeah, it was a it was it was a dark time, and and I'm I'm the byproduct of that generation. Then you add the Cold War fear on top of that, where you're raising entire generations of people who fear nuclear annihilation at the hands of uh, people so far outside their influence or control that it makes um, it almost you know it, it made a lot of people wonder why even bother going on. Um, you know, you have to th you have to think that the deeper part of the psychology here is how much fear, like, makes people do these things. You know, like I, I was thinking also in World War Two. You know, obviously the Germans were putting Jewish people and gypsies and anyone who they didn't like, <laughs> essentially, who didn't fit this this. Um, idea of what they thought people should look like or whatever in into these even twins you know into these camps right and then in america we were putting the japanese americans into mm -hmm. camps and you know everyone's being pushed aside and like this this sense of fear kind of guides all that and you know, I, it's a it's a negative viewpoint, but it's sad. And I've really I can't help but think we're living wrong. Like, I just feel like we're doing this wrong. And I think that the old ways what were the right ways. And I think eventually people are going to like it'll dawn on them. Oh, wait, we did this wrong. We're not supposed to live like this. We're not supposed to just be constantly going and going and on computers and, you know, and, you know, if you could find a way to do both. Great. But we're missing out on like I I don't even hardly ever get to touch the earth, you know. And that's it's, a shame. yeah, is how sad is that? You know, I've been told um, by someone that I'm someone who can talk to trees, and it was very random. Someone told me this when I was at a special um, kind of new age store. They walked up to me and said, "You can talk to trees," and they're like, "How did you know that?" <laughs> like I sit down and just stare at trees. Um, but, but it makes me really sad. Like how often do I really have contact with the earth? I actually talked about this in a, a recent interview with someone. We talked about the significance of grounding, the significance of, um, making that contact with nature, you know, how beneficial even the sun can be for you. Mm -hmm. And it's just really sad. We just are like inside these structures, like with, fake air pushing through and staleness and chemicals and it's it's the wrong path what prevents you from being able to go outside well i'm i'm so busy <laughs> it really is it's it's what it is right and i will tell you once when i was a child um my mother was very big on educating me about other cultures you know and I think that's one of the things that led me on the path that I'm on. I've always been interested in other people's lives. Um, she took me to a reservation. I was very young. Um, and I remember I had done a drawing and a man at the store loved my drawing and he traded with me. He gave me a bead. And I felt so proud. And since you can see this is a memory from when I was very young, yeah. right? That 
that's the way I think we should have done things. Like the the work that you do gets paid for by an equal amount. And it's, you know, it's not a material thing per se. It's, you know, it's, I don't know. It makes me sad. It it uh, it does for me too, and um, actually that that was uh, one of the things I had debated with my grandfather uh, at one point uh, was uh, you know why why even move away from a barter system? And the example he gave was uh, well, what if you want an orange, but all you do for a living is uh, build roofs? You know, uh, and the person who has the oranges doesn't need their roof fixed. What are you going to use as an exchange? Well, I could trade the orange for, and you know, and it became a Sierra game at some point where you trade the orange for the stick to give to the boy to get the fishing line so you can catch the fish to give to the old man and get the net and so forth. So, um, it, uh, I, having a unified system of, of currency or a few divergent systems that you know mix together i i don't really have any problem uh with that and i think the spirit of bartering is alive sometimes although i would love to see more more places where you could just kind of do an exchange they don't do too many yeah. of those in texas because it's so hot <laughs> but i Look think Let's just point out how happy kids are when they do Pokemon tra trading with their cards, right? Come on. Like, there's a joy to it. Mm -hmm. There's joy in that. There's a, I don't know, we're missing that. And now what we get for our work is invisible numbers, right? Or the, just the ability to um, scrape by sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. so we don't even really get to, we don't even, I don't even physically touch money hardly ever. Because yeah. it's all invisible numbers. It makes it a lot easier to spend. Right. Well, that's true. It's, yeah, if you, you don't, don't see it, it. You don't see it go. But, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I completely segued away from that's UFOs. Right. And I segued away from, you know, non-human entities. Because there's just <laughs> so much. Like, I get this strong sense that we're doing it wrong. And I feel like this is a related topic. Mm -hmm. uh, um, it's... It, 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 I think you're right, and I think it ties in. Uh, it ties in at a lot of levels. Um, it, one of the, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss the idea that sky people could be extraterrestrial. In fact, honestly, I think we all probably are if you go forward or in the past far enough in time uh because the goal of life is to spread and to uh, appear uh but i think people's idea of where life can develop uh really needs uh needs to be expanded a bit further and so you know getting on the subject of uh sky people uh i i have several different ideas as to possible sources of them and other things along the UAP line. Um, but yeah, most of them are, uh, most of them are Terran bound uh, it, it, because it just makes the most sense for these aest explanation. But even if they, you know, even if they come from space, how long would they have to be here before they were native? You know, if they've if they've been here for fifty years, thousand years, I've five thousand. I've said yeah. that too. Like if they've been here longer than we have, 
yeah. aren't we like like what like how do we think this way like uh, i know this would we even a- recognize it as an alien entity say it was fungus and right. you know fungus uh you know with my oh uh, uh with my uh sorry i have I had someone walking in uh uh fungus is a a pretty good example of uh, a form of life that could um as best I'm able to tell from research, uh, would be most like to be able to transfer from one uh, celestial body to another. Uh, it, it, it can thrive on radiation. Uh, it can go dormant and go active. It's got uh, the ability to uh, alter its DNA and RNA as needed, or, uh, or R- DNA via the RNA as needed, uh, to suit the tasks at hand, it can create immense neural networks. So you figure fungus has been on the planet far uh, longer than uh, uh, humans, far, far longer. It, I think it makes up around 80% of the total biomass that we're aware of on Earth. Uh, it permeates sky, uh, rock, soil, ocean depths, ice, uh, volcanic areas, um, and we've seen already that it has the ability to directly uh, control other species like uh, H. cordycepes uh, when it takes over the soldier ants that crawl mm-hmm. upside down so that they can sprinkle more spores down on the ants below or mm-hmm. um, in the toxmo, toxoplasmosis, uh, the, the uh, fungal uh, uh uh i believe it's a fungal infection that uh, that you can get from uh, enough uh, cat litter uh and I, I don't necessarily know how huge of an impact it has on humans but i think in rodents it'll actually cause them to seek predators it'll actually one reason you might see squirrels or rats out mm-hmm. on a road for instance is because they got toxoplasmosis and went out and sought the car thinking it was a, a predator mm-hmm. uh so um Fungus, uh, if you think about the amount of time that it has had to evolve, the things for which it's capable of doing, just that we've measured, managing, you know, thousands of square miles of forests mm-hmm. uh, across decades of uh, dry and wet seasons. And uh, the idea that, for instance, humans, mammals, fish, or whatever that needed to be done as a task to convert more mass into stuff that the fungus could eat eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes a more complicated life a biological tool set of the fungus. So say it started all that, sorry, that was a bit of a roundabout way of saying, say the fungus was the alien and it came from pick any yeah. star system that you wanted, but the end result being human would bear absolutely no resemblance to that which came before. Yeah. We Nor is that a bad thing. We're definitely not the greatest at thinking beyond our own uh, paradigms, right? We're really not the greatest at thinking beyond what we can imagine. I will say that is one of the hypotheses that I've heard of, though, that it could be that all of this, that all these things that we see are like a parasite. 
but is actually infecting our brain or something. Every entity, uh -huh. every encounter, every spiritual experience that has, it's sort of like, you know, people understand nanobots, like mm -hmm. that kind of concept. So I've actually heard of this hypothesis before. Um, it's, it's, but, but more so, you know, even if that isn't the case, there's probably multiple things going on and mm -hmm. we shouldn't ignore what we do see in front of us happening. There mm -hmm. is research showing that um, fungus is intelligent. It can seek out its food. Um, it goes on a path. It's pretty direct on its path and it reproduces rather quickly, very quickly. Yep. <laughs> so. so my personal theory is that, um, you know, as I'd mentioned before, that it was a lot of different things working in tandem. Uh, I don't think I don't think there'd be any one rational explanation that could say everything absolutely was this, unless it was some sort of a conceptual thing, like everything is each person's observation of the observed. I mean, that's that's broad enough, that sure. But I mean, I don't I don't know that there's anything that could be explained as just fungus or just parasites or just aliens or just. But I will say this: um, going off the earlier uh, idea that intelligent advanced life can develop. Uh, in biomes outside those of just the Terran surface, if you had an intelligent species that developed in the clouds, uh, you know, in the tops of the clouds or within, uh, going to the surface level of Earth would probably be lethal to them. There wouldn't be enough solar radiation making it through. Uh, there would probably be far too much pressure for it, it would be crushed the same way that we might be crushed if we tried to get down to the ocean depths, um, or at the very least, uh, experience quite a few uh, uh, problems. Um, so the same could be said for something that developed in deep ocean. You know, if you had the abyss type creatures, for instance, from the James Cameron movie, uh, uh, or some sort of a, a species that lived at the bottom of the ocean, came up to the surface world, uh, it would be a lethal environment for them, something that evolved in molten rock in the depths of a volcano. Uh, going to the surface world would probably be uh, lethal to it. And so each of these things, if they became advanced and intelligent enough, would require a suit or a craft in order to survive the journey. And so if we even see a nuts and bolts UFO, spaceship, disc, saucer, triangle, sphere, cube, whatever, what have you, there is no reason for it to necessarily be alien if it's not human. It could very well be a parallel intelligent species on this earth that's using those things to survive the trip into a biome where humans are able to uh, see it much more easily. Yeah, because, you know, um, one of the clear things is something's going on in our oceans, right? And I looked up the pressure in the ocean. It's considerably greater than, for instance, the pressure in space. You know, yes. it's much, much, <laughs> much higher. Um, you know, obviously, we can't go very far in our ocean. Even our craft 
that we create, the submarines have difficulty at a certain level. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it was sort of indicated in the abyss. I can't entirely remember about if they kind of touched on how much pressure is under there. Um, but the pressure would be considerably different. So yes. anything that they would have, they would if they came up from that, they would be leaving a highly pressurized area to a less pressurized area, much less. Yeah, the, so, there'd be the pressure difference. There'd be a temperature difference. There'd be mm -hmm. a breathable composition difference um, mm -hmm. uh, of uh, whatever the atmosphere or prevalent gas, assuming the thing breathed. And if it mm -hmm. didn't breathe, it may very well be that the gases up here are lethal to it. So, yeah. Uh, it has it has occurred to me that they could have come from, if they were interstellar, you know, mm -hmm. they could have come from a planet with a similar atmosphere. And they prefer oh, sure. that pressure. You know, we don't know. Or the darkness, mm -hmm. even. Because that is one thing people often say that these entities are having difficulty with the sun, with the light, it's hurting their eyes. You know, some of them have spoken about um, the people that they have met not eating food like we do, you know, so they, you know, obviously we have to think outside of human terms when we're talking about potential non-human intelligence. So it's fun. It's funny that you bring that up. Uh, one of the ways that, um, one of the ways that I started thinking about uh, life when I had to remove the uh, the biological biochem bias that had to be oxygen and hydrogen bonded to make life, um, uh, the I had to figure out a way to reclassify how things would be in comparison. Uh, regardless of where or when it came from. Because you know, uh, once you start getting outside of, you know, life has to be roughly like what we look at it. If you got to the, uh, the idea of, okay, well, what if it was a molten rock person? Or what if it's just a magnetic wave that lives in space? Or what if it's uh, a school of fish at the bottom of, uh, of the ocean? Um, then you know each of those things you'd have to think about a little bit differently. You know you, you don't want to you don't want to judge your dog by its ability to do your accounting, for instance. Uh, so uh, one of the ways I got to thinking about that that helped was um, one in terms of things uh, uh, gravimetric energy. Uh, that is to say, it's it's energy density per cubic meter. Uh, and, uh, so for instance, uh, if you had one form of life that had a much higher energy density per cubic meter, uh, than, uh, I'm sorry, uh, life density per cubic meter, I misspoke. So, uh, you would have the life density per cubic meter, uh, compared with its physical density per cubic meter and its energy per cubic meter. And cross comparing that with its what I call a temporal vector. 
so if you had something that ran uh, roughly parallel to you, like you and I right now, uh, were roughly parallel as far as chronological order is, is concerned and temporal vectors. And but as soon as our call ends, our vectors will begin to diverge a little bit, you know, especially since we're X amount of distance apart we're traveling different speeds throughout the cosmos, different directions. We're literally traveling at different vectors through time. Now, that's something just as similar as you and I, but you could have something very, uh, very different traveling at a different vector, either backwards or sideways or any of the angles in between. And some would cross forth uh, and in and around. So if you had something taking that taking that kind of framework into mind that you have to consider okay where if you have an observer and you have an observed and if from the vantage point of the observer something has a greater mass and a lower energy then it's probably sub informative there's less information there's less energetic exchange and data taking forth there. If there is higher energy and less mass, then it's supra-informative, and thus there's a greater amount of energy exchange, there's a greater amount of information uh, being exchanged. Um, and then, so if you took things along that line and assume that, uh, you know, in this case, they're roughly uh, chronologically on the same vector, uh, temporal vectors, then things are going to typically uh, gravitate towards trying to achieve a supra-informative state from a sub-informative state. So there would be things below us trying to raise to the state of humankind in terms of, uh, you know, our gravimetric energy, um, uh, or there might be humans attempting to achieve a higher state, such as, a, you know, celestials or angels or you right. know, uh, gods, Brahmins, whatnot. You know, it is interesting because a lot of people talk about levels of density. They talk about dimensions. They talk about levels of vibration, levels of energy, you know, so that so we have like this sense that there's a hierarchy. But it sometimes does occur to me, out of all the creatures on the planet, out of every single one, our evolution has been the most significant. Um, obviously, people think it's because we had fire, right? But when you look at um, some of the creatures that have been along living parallel with us, they haven't really changed that much. You know, I think crocodiles, for instance, they had a common ancestor with dinosaurs, and they really haven't changed that much. And they are pretty much on top of their food chain. So mm -hmm. it's not just food related. And they're not that brilliant. <laughs> you know, they're pretty basic. So you have to wonder what happened with us? You know, what made us get to that higher vibration? And if you ask a spiritual person, there is an implication that there was some external interference at some point. Um, in fact, many, many, many of our um, ancient civilizations believe that there might have been some sky people involved. Mm, there's, uh, there's a couple of indications and maybe some resets in the past. Uh, and they go by names all over the uh, all over the earth. 
and uh, I, uh, I, I don't anymore, but I used to have a little timeline of uh, significant in-life events on Earth um, and a different one with uh, great floods, plural, uh, that had happened. Um, but yeah, it, it would appear this sort of thing ha has happened in the past, um, and uh, I tend to think of them as filters. Uh, and, and as far as, you know, specifically to sky people, uh, I would say, uh, I guess that's, if you'd like, I could give my own, uh, my personal take on it, or I could go further into different possibilities, uh, because they, my, my own, uh, my own most likely in my head is not necessarily either correct or the one that science would favor. Okay, well, let's let's start with, okay, I'm going to go to the Wayback Machine on this one. Sure. When you were younger, mm -hmm. when was the first time you were told about sky people? I saw them with my own eyes and I talked to them. Okay, I, tell me uh, about that. Sure. I was probably about, I was probably about four or five years old, maybe six. And um, at the time, I spent most nights over at my grandmother's house, at my grandmother granddad's house. And I would go in the back. I, I always saw things around their house, and they were usually gold or silver. Um, but especially at night, I would go out and I would see the stars. I mean, I called them the stars, but they weren't like the little pinpoints of, of light. They looked more like cartoon star shapes in the sky, you know, five, six, seven, eight pointed, whatnot. And in the middle of the, and they usually glowed gold, and in the middle of them, there were moving things. I don't, I don't know if, I, don't, I wouldn't say that they were people necessarily, but whatever these things were, they were close enough for me to see. Uh, they were, uh, they made noises. I would talk to them, even though I doubt we understood each other's languages specifically. They sounded kind of like a Teletubby episode, you know, or whale song sort of thing, uh, just not quite as drawn out. Uh, and then one night, my grandmother, wandered, I guess, wondered what I was doing out there so light or who, who I was talking to. And she saw them before she saw me and she shooed them off and she told me, don't call them anymore and don't talk to them anymore. And, and I wasn't allowed to look at, I wasn't allowed to talk to them and I wasn't allowed to tell anyone about them anymore. And yeah, that was I, it. Yeah. I have to chime in on that. I did notice people just kind of assume that uh, people who are encountering this from various tribes, and this goes all over the world, not just North American tribes, are just like, oh, this is great. But that is not the case. If you read the stories, they're having <laughs> exactly the same experiences as the rest of the world. They're seeing creepy things. They're uncomfortable with some of the encounters. People are being abducted all over the world. Not everyone is like, this is great, okay? <laughs> um, if so, uh, the, the part of the reasons the conversation we're having now is happening is because I was studying um, Native Australian cultures 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've heard that they don't like to be called Aborigines, by the way. I don't know how accurate that is, but just, you know, for the sake of avoiding offending anyone, I'm just going to say Native Australian cultures. They've been um, there for 70,000 years. I think they're allowed to say that, right? True. I don't, I don't think they would have called it Australia, but <laughs> anywho, so... <laughs> So, um, you know, they, they were complaining about being abducted too, you know, like this isn't all fun and games for everybody. There's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of unpleasant things happening. There were people who were being abducted that like basically had to make agreements to stop being abducted. Like across (laughs) all these, all these stories, all these cultures, all these tribes, every group, every single one that has had these encounters so I just don't want people to have this misconception that the people who just because they have um, a, a link to ancient ancestry are going to be like, oh, this is cool. This is normal for us. Yeah, just come hang out with us. <laughs> well, there's a really good chance that she might have saved my life in shooing them away or she might have just, you know, set me back a very long time in an understanding. I guess I'll, I'll never really know. What I've come to suspect in uh, the 40 years since then uh, has been I probably saw what I call uh, cephalopoda nubibus, or cloud jellies. Um, It is, uh, as, as best I'm able to tell, there seems to be an entirely likely probability that at some point in Earth's history, uh, probably during an extremely wet, stormy period, or maybe with something that's been going back and forth like El Nino and La Nina, that cephalopods already uh, living near the surface and capable of changing their uh, uh, volume uh, compared to their mass, uh, eventually uh, learn to ride air currents enough near the base of the ocean that in particular stormy areas, they uh, eventually evolve to be able to make themselves thinner and lighter to improve the width of their cross section to catch more air currents and basically be able to fly like birds. And then you combine that with their ability to enact active camouflage and the uh, obfuscatory abilities of clouds uh, for them to hide within, uh, and their ability to survive pretty, you know, pretty cold depths and odd uh, temperature ranges, and bioluminescence as well. And so uh, looking at uh, many UAPs that could not be otherwise explained or weren't an obvious nuts and bolts type craft, I believe many of them are probably sky jellies. And uh, that night that my grandmother shooed the stars away, it's entirely likely that for the last previous nights leading up to that, that they were testing their prey or casing their prey and stalking the young and about to strike. That's scary to think of. And you know what? I'm just going to point out that there is a huge group of people that believe that some of the UAPs we are seeing are li- living beings, um, not just oh, sure, yeah, not just above the water, or not just you know, but also in space. 
that you know capable of living in space and some of the orbs that we see act you know very jelly-like and plasma-like um and i think there is science behind this that we just don't understand yet um a lot of people are describing some of these uaps as looking um like sea creatures Mm -hmm. you know so i think people have to do a little bit of science to solve that and and it is unfortunate that science has not wanted to touch that you know like but now i think we're getting there i think we're slowly getting there but that that's sad to think that they why would you not want to study something that people are describing on our planet to you <laughs> so i think um i think that kind of it it, it 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 intersects a lot of issues that you know one stemmed from the cold war uh, you know prior to the cold war people were allowed to talk about that stuff a bit more uh and that was you know certainly a heavy heavy influence in what i was allowed to talk about uh with anyone at all uh and then Adding to that is uh, one of the reasons I consider myself a, uh, you know, a shaman uh, is because uh, shamans aren't, uh, one of the reasons I consider myself a shaman as opposed to say a witch doctor or a medicine man or, you know, a priest or something is a shaman tends to take science from a very macro perspective so if you took a jigsaw puzzle i love the way neil degrasse tyson put it uh this i know a lot of people hate on neil degrasse tyson these days and sometimes i even have my occasional complaint but personally you know to me the guy has brought science all over the place and i think it's wonderful but he 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 summed it up real uh real nicely that um uh there are western science as it's been previous to recently for the last 50 years or so is all about how the individual pieces of a puzzle fit together, but not about what the puzzle itself looks like. So if you were to go to the store and, you know, pick up a jigsaw puzzle and put it in there, Western science would be very good at saying, okay, you do the edge corners first and you work your way out from those and you find those and you get that. And they could probably figure out a way to eventually assemble the thing uh, upside down if necessary. Uh, Whereas a shaman is more likely to go in. uh, And I I say shaman kind of as a a blanket term for uh, someone who intermixes science and spirituality and magic uh, together as things that are not distinctly walled off from one another but have overlapping boundaries like a venn diagram and they always have let's be honest they always have like you show the flying cars that we're working on now to someone 200 years ago it's going to be called magic we know there's science to it we know there's a lot of like other things to it but that's magic to people well you know and that's a funny thing if you showed someone a flying car uh 200 years ago 500 a thousand 2000 even 10,000 there's a decent chance that if you went to a 
trade city, a major trade city somewhere on the equator, that they could say, oh yeah, there was something like that uh, here uh, within the last 20 years. Um, so going back to yet another possibility on the sky people, if they aren't cephalopoda nubibus, um, another possibility is that the sky people are a caravan that either used to exist or still exists or left that figured out uh, balloon travel early. So it's not entirely out of line that if there were other intelligent species that they would eventually figure out hot air rises and that if you make, you know, if you sew enough light fluffy sheets together, uh, then supply hot air under it, you can float something. Uh, once you can manage to do that, it wouldn't take uh, a people very long to figure out you could make a caravan out of that that can ignore almost every war almost every country's boundaries and uh, simply set down to trade where they want one day and lift off the next uh, or however long it takes to refuel and, and, and uh, exchange things. Yeah, I mean, there's so many possibilities. I've, I've also heard people insist, you know, Atlantis was real, you know, that that whole group of people were real and they are probably still in existence hiding like in why they would be on like unavailable to us i don't know but but i also am cognizant of the fact that this is a planet that has groups of people that are still not in any way connected to modern uh technology you know there's mm -hmm. there's places on the planet that they will shoot you with an arrow mm -hmm. still to this day if you try to get there you are mm -hmm. not allowed to get there <laughs> so oh yeah so we, even when it comes to our civilizations, we still fully do not understand. We do not understand everything yet. And if you can imagine, it's that hard to uh, to be able to reach out and communicate just with other humans, uh, how uh, challenging it is to try and communicate with non-human intelligent species. One of my... Uh, one of my own thoughts as far as petroglyphs and uh, ancient religious texts go is that some of them may not necessarily have been religious in nature. They might have been manuals on how to communicate with whatever the local uh, elemental species was that was unlike mankind, humankind, but was still there to uh be either traded with, warred with, reasoned with, uh, you know, or uh, given tribute to. Right. And there's there's definitely, yeah, there's rules, you know, of course, that, mm -hmm. you know, the religion was a, a term that we later came up with. But, but for instance, like the petroglyphs that are being drawn um, by Native Australians, you have to have like the directive to draw it. You know, you're not allowed to just draw it if you want to. And, and it's actually offensive and sacrilegious if you want to use religion as a term again. Um, so you have to wonder, why was that rule in place? Why were they not allowed to draw them unless they were the designated person? And why was this rule there about who is allowed to see these? Uh, I think it was one genie. 
I'm probably wrong, but why is that rule there? And it's almost like the rule now where some people can't take a photo of a UAP. They try and it doesn't show up, you know, mm -hmm. like they, they, they try and their camera fails. They try <laughs> and it's just a blur. They, you know, and you have to wonder, like, did they know that they have a rule that they know that you're not supposed to be capturing <laughs> these things? Well, I think it's I think it's one of those things where um yeah, it's a if it's intelligent enough to have developed uh, a language then it's intelligent enough to develop rules of protocol and things that it prefers, things that it doesn't prefer uh, uh as and then the things that it'll forgive and that it won't. Uh, but then there's also not just one it you know, if, you've, if there's as many it's out there as there are life forms on the planet, and we don't necessarily even know of all the you know, particular uh, life forms there. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think it's possible that uh, as far as people figuring out, uh, you know, going to the car back to the caravan idea, um, if it took about 20 years to get a caravan on balloon around the earth, uh, you know, stopping port after port around, roughly sticking to the equator or other uh, trade wind routes, you would have fairly, fairly straight lines between these ports worldwide or these places where they stopped. But with each great flood, with each great uh, disaster, that reset all national boundaries and all peoples and everything that just left ruins of it. Eventually you might just find ruins here and there that happen to leave straight lines going across the world, you know, like ley lines or Nazca lines. Um, so if you, uh, if you figure over time, those things would change. And if a circuit took about 20 years, it would also account for a lot of the image uh, for a lot of the stories of human star people or humanoid, very human-like star people, people who would descend from the clouds, people who would lift into and out of clouds, and uh, uh, several other uh, things in there as well. So, well, one of my favorite hypotheses, which I don't think I've fully explored yet, but one of my favorite is that we went to mars then we essentially or we started on mars who knows and then came back right so we've already kind of been doing this exploratory thing you know or we've already done some travel in our ancient ancient past and you know it's just in our genes to keep traveling you know obviously we've spread out people uh, theorize that all of us spread initially from Africa, you know, so it's just in us to do this exploratory thing. It, it is, it is. I mean, I think that's, I think that's part of one of the reasons why we exist is to mm -hmm. explore. We're a very curious right. species and we're very, we're good at, we're good at communicating ideas and we're good mm -hmm. at exploring. So we can explore, we can see new things, we can get our ideas from those, we can communicate them back to our, you know, to others, and then they can take that information, explore further, get ideas and right. come back. And actually that's part of um, at least one creation myth that I found 
the the the, the people um i want i want to say it was i'm probably going to say it wrong i think it was the the hopi i i want to say it was theirs that they came, they came out from within the planet they saw a large creator and the creator told them to go explore essentially and they all separated and went their different ways across the the country and they had to set up different camps and then when, when they got to the camp they would leave signs for each other that they had explored that area and then they kept going <laughs> so it, yeah some of ancient stories about how we are supposed to be uh, involve exploring and expanding I have I have heard variations of that story through various cultures. Um, with the Hopi specifically, uh, I think there's involved uh, the three shades of light. There was the yellow and the red and the purple, I believe. And then um, there was a... Uh, basically like a grandfather figure uh who created um he, he basically he figured out okay there's there's a planet here but i'm bored i want there to be some stuff and so he created a helper that went and made a bunch of stuff and then he created another helper uh who i believe was spider woman i'm not sure and then spider woman uh created life and eventually figured out humans Although it might have been the first helper that created Spider Woman, you'll have to forgive me. I, I'm gonna have to go back and and, and look at it. Uh, and then Spider Woman uh, eventually went back to the you know the, the the grandfather figure, and said, "Okay, well we've, I've got this perfect species for you. Um, they're really good at stuff, but you need to give them language." And so um, then you know he gave them language, and uh, from there then. They were able to communicate the the uh, the duties of stewardship and maintenance uh, to protect the world and universe at large. It's really fascinating when you start seeing the parallels with all of these ancient stories mm -hmm. of our creation, mm -hmm. because as soon as I heard the story of Prometheus giving fire to humans, mm -hmm. I immediately thought. That sounds like the Bible when they talk about what happened with the devil. He gave, you know, intelligence to humans and was kicked mm -hmm. out of heaven. Prometheus, mm -hmm. he gives fire to humans, gets kicked out of heaven, right? He's in trouble. And what does the Bible also talk about? These angels, these flying, well, they don't really fly, actually. That's incorrect. They don't have wings. Like people, there's nothing in the Bible that says they have wings. So these creatures created by God who interact with humans, they get in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. And then you hear about this in the other stories. The, the, the main creator, God, creates these other beings that mm -hmm. come and help humans. It's very parallel. Almost oh, yeah. all the stories are the same that way. And sometimes they're giving them corn. Sometimes they're giving them fire. Sometimes they're just giving them an apple, you know, <laughs> with intelligence in it. So there's a lot of parallels. It's really interesting. So it's it's interesting also that you mentioned uh, mentioned the corn because that was that was one of the uh, uh, that was one of the things I remember from the uh, the Hopi creation story was um, every child had two mothers you know they had the 
the uh, the godmother who was basically elected from a lot of women of the tribe who would get together to uh, to give reason as to why the child should be theirs, why they should be the godmother of it, and um, and they also had their corn mother, and uh, so and I believe the corn mother is uh, representative of of Earth herself, of that of that Gaia spirit. And those same monotheistic religions almost always uh, have a male and female duality uh, to them uh, on the, the creation, but not always. And uh, when I got, when I saw enough of them, though, and uh, I, I think that the, 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 the icing on the cake, that's not the right word. The, the spice that kind of made this the that finished the sauce for the for the dressing that is my salad bar of beliefs I should say was uh, having finished the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita and uh, coming to realize uh, at least as far as I believe that the sun is a god not the god necessarily. Not the only one, certainly, um, but a god, just as the earth is a goddess. Um, but uh, whereas everything in our solar system is created by the sun, the dust and the, right. the matter and energy of the sun. And if you want to really break it down, for someone who is an atheist, right, and they just believe in science... They just replaced the word God with a scientific explanation for life. You know, that, that's still mm -hmm. the creation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's funny how that works, how we really just end up in the same place no matter if you just, it's all semantics. People play with semantics, but it's all ending up in the same place. If you were to ask someone who tends to study like new age concepts where mm -hmm. you go into things like Gaia and stuff like that, and you ask them, what god is a lot of them will tell you it's a big ball of energy mm -hmm. which is the sun by the way mm -hmm. also the sun is a big ball of energy <laughs> and if you were to go to alpha centauri then uh you know that star would be the god for that system right if you were to go to beetlejuice it would be the god for that system and so on and so right. forth um right so yeah, uh, and uh, so when I look out at some of the stars and nebulas and uh, celestial bodies out in the sky, I don't just see balls of energy and masses. I see living beings um, that move at a temporal vector and supra-informative uh, comparison to me that my human mind can't even begin to comprehend what they know and are capable of but if you took all the creation stories and just started with the sun it basically would match up you would have you know there was the darkness then there's the light then the the you know the mass from the sun comes out and creates the planet the light from the sun allows life to uh you know to develop uh and to create a food chain 
the gravitational forces of the sun set us in motion so that we can have those active forces and, and you know, eventually water and, and winds and atmospheres and perhaps even our moon, you know, uh, it could very well be that the reason our moon exists is because the sun figured out that the earth needed it in order to be able to sustain life against other fil great filters out there. Uh, yeah, the moon takes a lot of punishment for us. Uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. You know, there's a um, really, you know, talking about, again, just really old tradition of humanity is to believe there's a spirit in these things. You know, and that's a strong core belief to a lot of people that they sense spirit in things. Um, and I'm thinking of Shintoism. Yeah, that's, and, yeah. Animism yeah, in, in general, but Shinto is a great example. Yeah, Shintoism is um, um, the traditional ancient Japanese belief that there's a spirit within things also. And they actually created Shinto tempo, temples that were supposed to be there's a spirit inside this temple. It's like a really interesting parallel because um, when you when you look at a lot of the traditional beliefs in indigenous people it's very similar to that system of thinking that there's spirit in the stones a spirit in the water there's spirit and then you if you were to watch an anime for instance oh look there's a spirit for the trees and a spirit for the the rock and a spirit in the water you know it's interesting we have this ancient ancient tradition with our beliefs that people are not acknowledging and the reason that's important and this was a point that was made by one of the native Australians is because those beliefs should not be ignored because they do carry like a, like a manual for humanity that people were not paying attention to and should be. Um, she gave this example of, you know, a creature that existed alongside her people and they were had passed down the story. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh! I have another great example. I'm sorry, I'm rambling okay. about this because it's so. No, I love hearing about this. <laughs> right. I spend my life learning about this kind of stuff. Right. So there's there's this another example. There's this a Netflix show that's about ancient China, right? Which mm -hmm. really shows, by the way, how even without what we call modern technology, they were extremely advanced in their civilization in ancient China. Really ancient, oh, by yeah. the way. This was before you know everyone thinks ancient china they think palaces and robes this was before all that right mm -hmm. this show um shows you know them building elevators and stuff like that but one thing they also showed was this woman who would do a dance mm -hmm. and it was passed down to the through the family that they had to do a certain dance Mm -hmm. And then without ruining too much, it turns out that that dance that was passed down had a very specific purpose and mm -hmm. helped her keep people alive and helped like move the story forward at one point because it was actually teaching her the movements to do something. The dance yeah. was, was actually um, teaching her something she had to do. <laughs> so it was very interesting. Was there a harmonic component? Uh, with the dance as well, like a particular song or instrument, because I've often found that to be the case. What you describe mm -hmm. sounds a whole lot like uh, sutras in Hinduism, mm -hmm. um, uh, where you would you would 
either perform specific uh, movements or poses, uh, as well as either, uh, say, reciting the 108 names of the sun or mm. chanting Om Shanti or uh, any number of other mm -hmm. um, uh, things while doing that and fasting, for instance. And right. these sutras, uh, if done well enough, could do anything from mm. granting invulnerability to mm -hmm. giving... Uh, you know, a weapon from the sun itself, uh, mm -hmm. or a a bow that was capable of raining fire down from the heavens and turning entire cities into, uh, you know, uh, poisoned ash. <laughs> I don't know, but I will tell you this. I would love to be a yogi. I would love to just be one of those people that gets to just try to meditate and elevate myself and raise my vibration every day while the people bring me food <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be a yeah the uh, that would be wonderful if we had brahmas uh and, although i don't even know if they necessarily do that in most places in india these days uh but yeah they had a of course the to support the the brahmas they also had to have the uh the sudras um, I believe so for every, you know, for, for a higher caste, you had a lower caste that had to be larger and supporting it as well. So, um, but you, you know, you have to wonder, isn't that a weird coincidence that they were working on basically remote viewing to go to a different place, right? And then we had scientists working on this, you know, behind the scenes with the government for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. and you know so on and so forth it's just really interesting again humanity just keeps going back to the same things there's got to be a reason for that i think there's a lot of truth to be found in it there's a lot of grains of truth and the 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 older a text is that survives and stands up to modern ideals uh and uh and philosophy and, 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 and thought and critical thinking at that. Uh, generally, I feel the closer it is to being something like the truth. Uh, I would very highly, I, I don't know if you have read it. Um, you know, a lot of uh, people don't necessarily, I, I think, conflate this at all with uh, Northern American tribes, but I will say having read the Bhagavad Gita, uh, it held very, very true with everything that I had been taught uh, or that I had learned or that I had studied from within tribes simply by different names. But it also read like a science book on the most cutting-edge theories of science. It, it delved into things like alternate realities, um, holographic, uh, uh, holographic recording of the way that uh, things are, the uh, flying, uh, flying vehicles, uh, the, um, the, the idea that, uh, you know, uh, harmonics and harmony uh, is a, uh, a physically tangible force that things seek even uh, for instance if you had a you know if you had a whole table of stuff 
and you vibrated it at a constant rate, eventually that stuff is going to achieve a, a semi-perfect equilibrium or it'll get thrown off the table. Or if you had a better example, maybe as a table full of salt, and then you hooked it up to, say, a speaker that kept playing a particular Hertz tone, the salt would form cymatic patterns. Um, uh, it would form like a, a geometric shapes and whatnot. Yeah, I think I've seen people play with that, like uh, with sand. Also, they just mm -hmm. they, yeah. they they mess around with the sound moving the mm -hmm. uh, the sand to make patterns and stuff. And that's that's the uh, that is the harmonics uh, that create a wave pattern, a wave form in there that the rest of it seeks to attain. And so even as far back as, I don't know when the Vedas were written, or uh, but the Bhagavad Gita, I think, was written uh, out of what was remembered from the Vedas about 10 or 12,000 years ago, I think. Mahabharata, I think, was uh, more like uh, 1000 uh, BC or something. But um, Anyway, uh, yeah, the fact that they, the fact that they knew, uh, even down to things of eating, uh, you know, if you, if you eat something uh, that like a hot meal, it restores more. The more vital, the more vitality that is in your food at the time mm -hmm. you eat it, the more energy it brings you, as opposed to say leftovers that had uh, either started to go bad or were no longer as vital. Uh, yeah. I just, I was just thinking while you were talking about this, India also um, sort of merges animal and human for some of their gods. You know, the elephant mm -hmm. head, right? Mm -hmm. Like Ganesha. Uh, yes. And then mm -hmm. I was thinking, you know, where else do we see that? We see that in Egypt. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, you know, we see this tradition where these uh, ancient gods have animal and human merged together. Mm -hmm. So, like, I think it, it exists, obviously, in some of our our horror stories with werewolves, right? <laughs> animal and human mixed together. But it's more than that. Like, uh, mm -hmm. there's this combination. I just wonder if, we, if this, in part, we just all came from this one little tribe with a set of beliefs and just spread across the whole world with a set of beliefs and it changed and like evolved and diverged but we all had this set of beliefs and it's still in us all you know what i mean i do i think it may be more likely that humanity as we know it right now is the result of many many parallel species that have combined their DNA enough over time to create us as an end product that regardless of where we were or when we were, there were certain universal truths that were able to be discovered, if even for a brief amount of time, and then translated into one form or another that future generations could understand, be it either through a science textbook in the present day or an allegory of animals or of a religious tale, a religious book of worship methods. You know, I have to segue 
while we still have time over to this other species concept because we had spoken about that also um while people are very focused on uh, uaps and stuff we've noticed that of course bigfoot comes up and bigfoot is known as sasquatch and yowie and yeti and has many names mm -hmm. and you and i spoke about you know this divergence of human species mm -hmm. um and the possibility that perhaps bigfoot is a hominid that we just mm -hmm. haven't really identified clearly that one that's very good at hiding from us perhaps one that knows how to camouflage perhaps maybe that's the the skill they develop mm -hmm. but we are in fact from multiple species mm -hmm. people are aware of course of neanderthal mm -hmm. um but some are less aware of the donovans and that there's another species that they haven't even really found uh the evidence for but they know that there's a dna sequence they see it in um certain people when they go to study that's like at least four percent dna that just don't know where it came from right mm -hmm. so so yeah why don't you just go ahead and talk about why you think bigfoot could possibly be or multiple types of hominids <laughs> sure yeah i think it's entirely possible um the uh you know just uh thinking about like a uh, homo floriensis uh for instance um you know that's a uh, the the the, uh, the hobbit species, but you would you would be hard pressed to find uh, any culture on Earth of you know that in it was lived near a forest uh, that had some record of the past that didn't have tales of large hairy people that lived in the woods. Um, and while I think obviously some of them, uh, were probably obviously either, you know, chimpanzees or gorillas or monkeys, you know, or the, some form of primate or ape, uh, it's also entirely, uh, probable that this, these were just another, yet another species of people that had developed. If you think about, uh, homo sapiens. Um, you know, and we're only about 20,000 years old uh, as far as really getting into our own as a species. I think we're, I think we're around a little bit earlier than that, but really getting into our own as far as about 10 to 20,000 uh, years ago. But um, we weren't the only one around in that 20,000 years. We were, as a species, uh, mating with all the other hominids uh, around us. Um, Neanderthalus was probably just the most biologically compatible, um, but even the ones that weren't biologically compatible to produce offspring with would have still been intelligent enough to trade with or to uh, fight with or right. to, you know, have some sort of a hostile or positive relationship with um and there's there is already this understanding that even Neanderthals, who many people just kind of assume weren't very brilliant, but that's just an assumption, right? Even Neanderthals had traditions of burying people and using fire, and you know that there's evidence. Of course, they had jewelry and things like that. So even Neanderthal, who didn't end up, I mean, their their DNA is in us. I have a lot of Neanderthal in me, apparently. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's what I found out. But, <laughs> you know, they didn't end up as a prevailing species in the end. Um, they were actually very intelligent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and they keep finding more and more artifacts of them as well. Uh, heck, in China, I think... Uh, I think China just recently showed the most ancient uh, art uh, that uh, it was like 40,000 years old uh, or uh, is either 40,000 years old or 40,000 BC approximately. And it was beautiful, intricate detail. This was not some like crude little totem someone banged out of a piece of flint. I mean, this was this looked like machined um and you know it might have been a counterfeit but i mean it looked it looked to me it looked like a, a brilliant you know grecian roman sculpture quality sort of stuff you know yeah you know what the greatest thing is about um the study of uaps and their possible occupants is that it ends up ultimately being a study of ourselves it ends up being a study of humans and trying to understand <clears throat> our place on the planet, our history on the planet, the pieces and how they fall into place. And it's it's fascinating how that ends up being a big part of this. It's it's like we're looking we're looking out and end up looking in. It really is. You know, we see so little of the universe around us unaided. Um, especially if we're not concentrating. If you figure human humanity alone, uh, we see such a very narrow band of light compared to the amount of light that's out there. Uh, if you had in, in just the visible spectrum of light alone, of all the light, but if you just took the visible spectrum of light and and assumed that was the size of a stadium, a professional sports ball stadium of like 300,000 people. Um, and then you took uh, just the band that humanity could see, uh, homo sapiens could see on average, uh, tetra tetragrads notwithstanding. Um, they would only be able to see themselves, the people on the two people, you know, one on either side of them, and then have a hint of the next person sitting on the opposite side of them, despite the fact the entire stadium could be filled with 300,000 people. That is how bad human sight is. And uh, in, that's just what we're able to observe compared to what's out there as far as light. That doesn't count all the other uh, types of energetic forces. That's not even accounting for the things we're not attending to. <laughs> like, the, the, you know, you probably heard of the experiment where they tell people, look at this. And while they look, someone goes by in a gorilla yeah. costume with the mm -hmm. basketball. They're not even mm -hmm. paying attention to it. They didn't see it because they were told to look one place and they just yep. don't notice it. You know, that's just it's funny. So, yeah, our, our perceptions a factor, um, our history and having missing pieces to it is a factor. Our ignorance with ignoring the past from, you know, the culture is trying to tell us what it is. You know, that's a factor. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, this is happening. You know, um, you need to pay attention. You know, even the story of the jinn, totally different story, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of predates the concept of 
ghost and it's very similar and now of course people are into shadow people so you know that's a really old story and mm -hmm. people are starting to kind of cotton to the idea so to speak is i guess that's a way to put it but like all these things we can't ignore <laughs> all these pieces if we start paying attention to all the pieces we might understand ourselves more. We just recently got our DNA kind of mapped out. Um, we are just now finding more evidence of um, other civilizations of where they might have been. I think it was about six months ago, I heard that there were footprints in North America that were older than they thought people were here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And then in Israel, they found possible evidence of a civilization that was 150,000 years old. Ooh, send me that. I haven't sent that. I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, I I feel like they're still looking into that, you know, and then of course, you know, the native Australians could be older than 70,000 and some people think mm -hmm. that they were the origin and went to Africa and then <laughs> came back, by the way. You know, so there's there's like so many pieces that we have yeah. to figure out. But, you know, we're almost near the end of the interview, and I really thought we were going to talk more about Sky People. So <laughs> I, wanted, my, I just want to get to it one more time before um, we close sure. out. I wanted to give you a chance to talk about a two, kind of like a, it's a two-part question, right? Okay. One is, what has your tribe taught you about that? Mm -hmm. And the other part is, do you feel like your tribe will ever want to come out and share that knowledge more so with people um we we talked about this by the way also off the record we talked mm -hmm. about how like this knowledge will get lost mm -hmm. if people don't share it um and it doesn't mean anyone should be exploiting people for that that's the thing i have a problem with of course but um the knowledge of it doesn't get shared is lost. So I, I guess I want you to put your sure. two cents in on both of those things. Sure. Um, so as far as my tribe goes, uh, it's my understanding that uh, the, the line that I am descended from uh, came from a woman named Shipea and a man with the last name of Manitoba. Uh, Manitoa was of Sac and Fox, and Shipea was of the Star People. Uh, though, depending on who you ask, the Star People either could have been literal, you know, people from the stars, or it could have just been uh, some people, some uh, white travelers that were going through. Uh, could have been, uh, you know, albinos. It could have been any number of things that that part is lost just you know the but uh, the name uh Shipea, uh translates roughly to a compact uh, uh like a a contract a peace treaty a um a uh a giving of a part of one's self to ensure uh mutual prosperity and uh, the last name Manitoa uh, translates roughly to either glowing serpent or flying 
serpent or feathered serpent it's, or snake. Um, and so uh, having uh, learned those, the initially, uh, the part that had initially gotten my attention on it had been the Manitoba uh, uh, line because uh, later on I'd found that it was very similar to Quetzalcoatl, which uh, appears in Aztec and Toltec uh, mythology and uh, it, various other cultures as well. Uh, Chinese dragons actually sound quite a bit like it. Um, but uh, the... The uh, the star people portion of it, I suppose, made uh, makes more sense as time goes on. Uh, as to whether or not I believe she came from, you know, an extraterrestrial place or uh, or celestials, or if it was just a band of travelers who had a, uh, a, a you know a pale skinned daughter that uh, you know they used for passage through the land i don't know uh but yeah. regardless it set me on a very spiritual journey exploring the last name on the manitoa side and the feathered serpent and quetzalcoatl uh, right. in general yeah it reminds me of a, a japanese story um one of the oldest um ufo stories in japan is about, I believe, a, a woman who comes out of what looks like a saucer in this, uh, um, I want to say it's like a painting. It's like an ink painting. Um, so she comes out as if it were like a clam <laughs> and opens and she's walking out. You know, that's what it is. Like Venus. <laughs> yes. It's, it, oh, that's, or another, good that's oh. another good comparison, right? <laughs> it's weird how it just happens. These stories are always parallels to each other, isn't it? I mean, it makes for a really good craft. Mm-hmm. I'm sure to come up from the ocean depths. Right. So, um, and then I guess the, the second part of that question was, you know, you're you're coming out and you're sharing. Um, and, of course, I greatly appreciate that. Do you think more people should come out and share, uh, make sure that people are listening to these stories, that it's not all going to get left inside you know a family or lost because it's the most tragic thing in the world for things to be lost i i agree i would say there are quite a few shamans out there who are willing now to step forward and speak more on the subject there's probably also more uh more medicine men uh and women and, and you know wisdoms uh, of of all walks that are becoming more willing to talk, the more willing the world is to listen and not mock them. Uh, I, I I think a lot less of us are worried about being killed nowadays uh, <laughs> for espousing our beliefs. Um, if anything, I've actually found a very welcoming, because uh, you know, I didn't come forward as a shaman until fairly recently. I'd kept it very, very quiet for 30 some odd years because I lived in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And uh, I'd been told my whole life that if I talk about this kind of stuff that I'd be, you know, hunted, killed, crosses burned on the lawns and stuff like that. But instead, what I found is mostly people are like, oh, OK, cool. Let's, 
you know, good. Yeah. All, yeah. I know so, this. It's so very sad. encouraging. Because this country is supposed to be all about freedom of religion, right? But you know, that's they're still, it's <laughs> still a little close-minded. Like it, you can't walk around for the most part still and say I'm a witch, right? You know, like that's a that's a problem for people. So there's a, will... immediate assumptions with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there, there, there is. But I will say, thankfully, at least, <laughs> at least as long as the. Uh... As long as the system holds out, the greatest strength of America has never been in preventing injustices, but rather having the uh, agility necessary to uh, eventually create a correction for them. So you might see a great social injustice done but on a long enough timeline, the pendulum could swing the other right. way to correct it. A lot, some countries right. don't necessarily have that. Uh, but I'm, I guess I'm, I'd be foolish if I thought we were the only one that did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. We really are trying. I think we're always trying. We, we're actually still fairly young as a country, you know. Very, although, very. Yeah, it, as far as a, you know, group of people, obviously, old and ancient there's been people here for bajillions of years but anyhow but apparently whatever that footprint thing was is a lot longer than people think right oh, yeah. <laughs> i think it was like ten thousand years at least but um my my point though is that i think it would be fantastic if we pulled it together enough for everyone to just put aside all this this uh sadness this you know these these divisive feelings and just mm -hmm. celebrated each other you know celebrated the differences celebrated the different beliefs you know i i won't lie i am even guilty of some judgment towards some religions i won't name them right now but i understand <laughs> that like you know that happens we have that right but then again if they if they if someone from one of those religions was standing in front of me i would ask so many questions <laughs> it's scientology it's scientology i'm very judgmental <laughs> i'm sorry i had to tell you <laughs> but but I, if, if someone you know was from that i would talk to them about it but um yeah so i i guess it'd be nice if we could just celebrate and not be telling other people what to do. I guess I'm a little little libertarian about that. You know, it's just do your thing. Don't hurt anybody. Yep. Um, and it harm none. Do what they will. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in paganism, there's bad karma for that. Do good or get the consequences. Mm -hmm. the, um, the core of my belief is be good and do good. And right. uh, waste nothing, not even time. Right. So it's so interesting that uh, our UFO talk really ended up being a people talk. And I think that's, <laughs> you know, I think that's important. I think that is. Doesn't think, everything come down to people talk, though? In the yeah. End? Well, I don't know. I will say that I hope it's not just fungus and that it's really some cool looking other species. <laughs> I think I think it's all of the above. <laughs> oh, Yeah. No, I, I definitely do too. The more I do this work, there are plasma-like creatures. There are living things that look like amoebas. Mm -hmm. There are 
things that could be considered angel-like things without wings, by the way, because the Bible said no wings and there's nothing about wings and they're just, you know, they're like glowy things. Some people call them light beings. Uh, you know, there's there's a ton and we just, you know, we're just at the tip of the iceberg for figuring it out. And it's, yeah. it'd be great like if more people wanted to pay attention and, you know, I, I just want to shout out some groups like SSE you know, that has been working on this stuff for a long time, decades, you know, SSE is um, the, I think I'm going to say it right, scientific, no, Society of Scientific Exploration. I just give them a huge shout out because they've been studying the things that other people didn't touch and putting science with it, like the photons that emit from our hands, which mm -hmm. many traditions have been saying for for forever the biofield you know that is the energy that emits from us which you know other people now are like well of course we have thermal energy but if you had told someone 50 well 50 years ago hey we have energy in our bodies they'd be like oh that's so crazy uh, anywho so i am appreciative that things are happening at this rate where people are learning new things because they're willing to try so Oh, me too. And I think uh, I think as long as people uh, as long as people keep in mind that their self sovereignty extends to other people having self sovereignty as well, uh, then I think I think we might end up being okay. Uh, I would love to have an, an additional chat at some point in the future if you wanted to come back to the subject again or speak on other things. It sounds like we have really good uh, organic conversation. So. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. And, you know, I have a feeling um, we're going to have more information in the future. And if you know some other people who want to bring their stories um, or their experiences or even their honest um, understanding of um, what we were talking about. I mean, that's just a lot of topics, but you know, just, you know, let, let me know. Um, I want to sure. really give people a chance to, to talk about what they want to talk about and explore these things. Um, I, that's why I like to call it a chat instead of an interview. Sometimes it's just, <laughs> there's a lot to cover and well, a lot to figure out. Uh, yeah, I'll send a, I'll send a couple of ideas, uh, uh, your way. Uh, I think one of the people you'd probably really get a kick out of, uh, uh, speaking with would be, uh, Jason and Carissa Weiser. Okay. Uh, so, um, and, uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much for having me. Of course. You're awesome. Can you tell everyone where they can find you, please? Oh, sure. You can find me on Twitter at shamanic science uh that's uh or you can just look for shaman safford and do you want to tell people about the night watch institute website that will be changing actually uh i'm gonna be bringing down uh most of the uap part of node three uh, simply because there, I don't feel like there's a whole lot more I can add to the field that hasn't already been exhaustively covered by historians, nor do I have the technology uh, necessary to, uh, to contribute to the field of detecting them uh, better. 
so I think uh, I think I'm probably going to be shutting down the Nightwatch Institute uh, or keeping it dormant and focusing it on shamanic science instead. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. You know, I, I will say that that was definitely some an avenue I explored in my younger days. But yeah, if you could teach people about that, I'm sure people would appreciate that. So cool. thank you again for what you've taught us today. And then I want to say um, to everyone who's listening, I appreciate that you came and listened. This is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Um, I can be found on Twitter, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook at Study of UAPs or with the Calling All Beings YouTube channel um, and also at the UFOConnector.com. Take care, everyone. Good night and good day and take care.